You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M and happy game week Aggie fans as Texas A&M and the SEC comes back into the picture on Saturday, September 26th when the team hosts the Vanderbilt Commodores at Kyle Field. That kickoff is at 6.30. The game can be watched on SEC Alternative Channel. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at the depth chart. Jimbo Fisher released his initial depth chart for week one going into the season. Maybe some surprise names, maybe some areas where you're wondering who is where, why are they here on both sides of the ball. We're also going to be continuing our Aggie coverage, top 25 Aggies in 25 days, moving into our top 10 Aggies to watch for. That's actually going to be at the start of the show, and this entire week is all Vanderbilt week. We're going to be talking with guests from Nashville, guests from the Tennessean, guests all over about what to expect when Vandy takes the field on Saturday come 630. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Locked On Aggies and at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this podcast a more quality sounding show, Monday through Friday, we're on five days a week. Go ahead and listen, subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So Aggie fans, unfortunately, I'm a little disappointed this morning and uh, that's just kind of the news that I have to go with and it's because of Anthony Hines. No, not because Anthony Hines will not be playing in 2020. It is a sad moment, but because of what I saw on social media yesterday, for any of you who listened to the breaking news, we knew that Anthony Hines was going to opt out. I won't spend much time on this, but I do want to bring this to people's attention. He opted out, deservingly so, like any player could, and the backlash from the 12th man fan base was staggering to me. A player decides that it is his best benefit for the team, for his own team, to sit out in 2020. And they decide to berate him. Now, that's not every single one of the listeners here on the show, but there could be a few. And if there are, shame. This is a young man who is trying to do better for himself and trying to do better for his community and better for his teammates because his mind's not in the right place. What are you going to do when he blows a coverage? You're going to belittle him again? It's not fair. And so yesterday, or earlier today, he decided to come out with a statement about what is going on and why he elected to opt out. Which, by the way, he did not have to do for a single second. He owes no one at A&M besides Jimbo Fisher and Ross Bjork a damn thing. But he came on Twitter and here's what he said. I've seen quite a few rumors and I just want to clear the air. I lost someone very close to me and my family due to COVID three weeks ago. I made the decision to opt out this season due to the concern for me and my family's safety, as well as to try and make an impact off the field regarding social injustice. I am not entering the 2021 draft, and I still have two years remaining of eligibility to play college football. I plan to use this fall to focus on the last class I have left here at A&M and get active in my community. And to my brothers, I love y'all boys, and I look forward to supporting y'all this season. And to the 12th man. I'm so appreciative of the constant support y'all have given me. I'm thankful forever. Hashtag gigum. Well, to me, it kind of looks like uh, he's transferring. Now, that, that, that's not a rumor, but the way he, he worded it, he's transferring. And you know what? Unfortunately, can you disagree with him? 
He lost someone because of this pandemic. Someone very close to him. He has not released two, and I'm not going to ask that question who. But he lost someone close to him during this pandemic. And now he's being berated for deciding to sit out. This is why athletes use their platforms instead of saying, shut up and play. Shut up and dribble. Stick to football. No. No, that's not the case anymore. And if you think that's the case, maybe you're the problem with it. Again, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But when you belittle someone who you are representing your college, representing the university at a highest standard, and this is how he feels, he needs to come on Twitter a second time to release his thoughts. That's a shame. That's disgusting. And I hope no one here would ever do that. Anyone who listens to this show, I hope you come here to listen to a lot of good, knowledgeable stuff that we talk about. But more importantly, you come here to just listen. Part of our duty as representatives of the 12th man, however you want to put it, whether you're married into it, whether you went to the school, whether you cover it, you listen to the players. They have a voice and their voices need to be heard. And for Anthony Hines, that was that was a lot. And I feel for him. Go go look on Twitter. Go look on social media about how he handled it. He handled it great. Twitter folks, a couple of Aggies, you didn't. And unfortunately, it's a bad look for everyone at AM when you berate your player. You know what else it is? It's a bad look at any college. It's a bad look at Bama. It's a bad look at Auburn. It's a bad look at LSU. It's a bad look anywhere. But it's a very bad look for AM. That's just my opinion. Moving on. Top 25 Aggies to watch for in the coming days. We're in our top 10, number 10 on our list. I'm going to go with a name that maybe some people want to see a little higher, but I'm going to keep him at 10. It's DeMarvin Leal. Leal had a great year last year. He was limited. He didn't start a lot, but when he was on the field, he was impactful, consistent, and was a name that started to break out in the SEC. Now, on this A&M roster... He's going to have a chance to be the starter this year. That's just a given. And he's earned it. But the Judson product last year as a freshman came in as a five-star, missed some time, but when he got on the field, man, he was fun to watch. He flew to the football. He was dangerous against the pass rush. He was great in the trenches. You could play him really anywhere. I thought that was something really awesome to see. And his exposure this year is only going to grow. He does not also have to be the number one defensive lineman. There's two other defensive linemen who are going to have to step up and play just as well as the likes of Liao. But you got to give a lot of credit to Liao. He made some big strides last year, and I was very impressed with what I saw. In 12 games for the Aggies, as a freshman, he made 24 solo stops, uh, 38 total tackles, 5 tackles for losses, and 2 sacks. None came bigger than in that game against Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl where he had 5 total tackles, half a sack, uh, he also had a fumble, forced fumble, and he had a, and he had a tackle for a loss. That was big on Spencer Sanders that actually ended up helping A&M win that game. So there's a lot to build off this year. I look at him, and I think, okay, if you can continue to develop the way you like, you're going to go down as one of the better defensive linemen that has ever come through A&M history. And let's not forget, there's two big names on that list. One is Vaughn Miller, who went number two overall, and the other is Miles Garrett, who went number one overall. Yeah. People forget he was a hybrid player, Von Miller, but he was a defensive he was a defensive lineman. 
Liao has all the talent to be right up there with him. And he's a lot bigger, but he moves as fast as them. And if you can build off that going into the season, that is a huge plus for Texas A&M. More importantly, it's a huge plus for Mike Elko. It's a huge plus for that back seven because if they're going to pressure whichever opposing quarterback they face and cause havoc, that allows them to kind of replace the production of Anthony Hines in that back seven row. Guys, with game week coming up, it's going to be a long Saturday afternoon and you're going to want to be able to stay active and moving. That's why I recommend you go out today and go get yourself a Built Bar. Now, you guys have heard the promos for Built Bars, but not only have they added their 12 original flavors, such as German chocolate cake, peanut butter, salted caramel, orange toffee almond. You got six new flavors in caramel brownie, kind of mixing two flavors together. Lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake. It's actually not that bad. And apple almond crisp. Now, again, these bars are more like candy bars, but they have a lot of protein in them because they're covered in 100% chocolate. Instead of that nougat, they just have kind of a more soft, easy chew feeling, kind of like you're eating a Three Musketeers bar. Now, the bars are also great for the health conscious guy, and they give you a big boost of energy to help you get through your day. Not only that, they are low calorie, low in sugar, high in fiber. They are great for the keto diet. My favorite flavor right now is actually peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a product like this on the shelf folks so while you can go use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com and you'll save ten dollars off your next order that promo code is locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com we have a big game day week and it's all about preparation prepare yourself for an aggie win with builtbar.com Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports teams? If so, why not listen to a Locked on Podcast? The Locked on Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows featured every single day, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and ready for your fantasy football season. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So we finally got here. We are less than a week away before the Aggies take on Vanderbilt at home at Kyle Field. And one of the biggest questions all offseason was going to be, who's going to be playing where? What role will they have? Where will they be defined? We have that news going into Tuesday's show, going into the week, and here we go. The first team offense and defense, the entire depth chart has been announced. There's only a few changes on offense, so why don't we just go through it. The offensive line, it is exactly the same as what you thought, but a little bit of a hiccup. Left tackle is going to be Dan Moore Jr., but left guard is no longer going to be Jared Hawker. The green mile is no more. Kenyon Green moving from the right side of the line to the left side of the line with Ryan McCollum taking over as the center. A lot of people kind of expected that, especially after last year. Jared Hawker now comes in at right guard instead of Kenyon Green. And Carson Green keeps his job at the right tackle position. The biggest question is why the move from green to green? Or why the move from green to Hawker? Why not keep them on the same side? To me, I feel like that just means that there's going to be more protection going to the left side of the line to protect Kellen Mond. Hawker, to me, did a very good job last year in run support. And that is where I think you'll see a lot of Isaiah Spiller go more often than not. I thought he struggled next to Dan Moore when it came to pass protection. I thought Kenyon Green was a better pass protector 
and an average run stopper. So you want to see those two protections kind of mesh together. Now you have that with Carson Green on the right, Dan Moore on the left, two guards, and a very smart but oft-injured player in Ryan McCollum leading the charge in the center for Colton Prater. This offensive line may be the unit that is successful, but it is also pretty much the exact same unit. So with all that in mind, if you switch it a little bit, and what I mean by that is maybe just switch a player. Maybe if Carson Green was the left tackle and Dan Moore Jr. was the right tackle, we'd be having the same kind of conversation. But I think because of Green's ability in pass protection against the SEC, especially early on in the SEC, games against Alabama, games against Florida, you want to keep your quarterback upright for as long as possible. And that's why I think that Green disparted himself from the Green Mile and now is playing the left guard position instead of the right guard position. Quarterback, no surprise here. It's it's Kellen Mond. Kellen Mond, three-year starter. He's going to get the job. The biggest surprise I think a lot of people thought was Zach Calzada versus Haynes King, who's going to get the call at the number two quarterback spot. Right now, even though he's had a very good camp, it's still Zach Calzada. I think Calzada's approach going into the season as someone who's seen live reps, and more importantly, in a season where it's only SEC players. It's all SEC. You're not facing the Colorados and the North Texases and the Abilene Christians and the Louisiana Monroes or even the likes of, I would say, you know, a Texas State like you did last year. You're facing all SEC teams. You need a guy who's seen live reps. King, I don't think, can do that. I think that's why you would see at Kentucky, Joey Gatewood get the start alongside Terry Wilson over the incoming freshman because of at least he's seen live reps. He knows what to expect. So for that reason alone, I think Calzada arguably easily gets the job going into the year. Tight end, no changes. Jalen Weidemeyer will get the start, but Ryan Rennick moves up from tight end number three to tight end number two with the news of Blake Smith and Baylor Cup out this year. I expect Rennick, who is also kind of a fullback, kind of H-back style of player, to be a little bit more effective in the passing game. I think you're going to have to see that. I think when you look at the way that the wide receiver position is right now, and more importantly, what you look at is the major injuries that have come to tight ends, which was supposed to be their deepest position going into 2020. Now you're going to have to see him step up. He's a great inline blocker. I want to see him be more effective as a pass catcher. Meanwhile, Jalen Weidemeyer, this is going to be a breakout star. This is going to be a guy who I think is going to have all the reps. He's going to be the number one target for Kellen Mond. He's going to be the number one tight end in the SEC. And even though he came on the all-SEC team preseason list as the number two tight end, I think he's going to be able to beat out Kyle Pitts. I really do. Because of the way the wide receiver court is right now, it's so mismatched, misfunctioned, you don't really know what to expect. Let's talk about it then. Wide receiver number one is actually Cam Brown, the freshman six foot one from Colleyville, Texas, who's a redshirt. Number two is Caleb Chapman. Chapman will get his start as a sophomore coming out of Friendswood, Texas. And the slot Z option is not Demond Demas. It's Jalen Preston. Preston, who missed time last year, is coming back. He saw some reps. He's going to be the effective one. Of the three, I think Preston was easily the one that a lot of people were expecting to have the biggest year. He saw the most reps last year. He got the most catches last year. You want to see him continue to build off that. But it's it's funny that Demas, five-star player, 
is not expected to be as effective as I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. Now, that does not mean he will not see action this year. He's got to see action this year. But he is not going to be as effective as I think some other names out there would have presented him to be. A lot of people expected him to just come walking in and be the replacement immediately for Courtney Davis. Looks like Jalen Preston's going to get his shot first. Maybe you'll see a way that they can work it out to where Demas gets in at four receiver sets. Maybe Brown struggles. Maybe Chapman struggles. But more importantly, all this does is it opens up a chance to see what the future holds for Demas a little bit down the line. Other wide receivers, Chase Lane comes in at wide receiver number two. Moose Muhammad comes in at wide receiver number three. Devin Price comes in at wide receiver number four. Uh, Behind Preston is Demas. Behind the likes of Chapman is Hezekiah Jones. I think he's going to actually have a pretty solid year. Kenyon Jackson and Dylan Wright, guy who I was actually really high on, is still number four on the depth chart. That means he could get lost, and I would not be shocked to see what could happen in the very coming days. Finally, the running back position. Very few surprises here. Isaiah Spiller is going to be your lead back. I think a lot of people expected that. Last year, what you saw from him, what you saw with his numbers, what you saw with his production, over 900 rushing yards, was a little bit effective in the passing game. You're going to want to see him have a big time year. Number two is Anaya Smith, who might be representing number zero, but he's number two in the backfield. I think you'll see him actually also take some reps at wide receiver. I think with a limited depth of production that you have at the position, at least early on in games against Florida, games against Alabama, games against Auburn late in the season, you're going to see Smith line up all over the place. Coming in at number three, Devon Ashe. He gets the gig over the likes of DeAndre Jackson, over the likes of Ernest Crownover, over the likes of Devon Hubbard. He gets the next gig. Pure speed. You're going to see him, I think, have a limited role this year but he's pure speed. Let him run, let him run fast, and let him run to the end zone. That's going to be his job in 2020. All right, we went over the offense. Let's take a look at the defense in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Listen live every single day on LockedOnPodcast.com and follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. Defense. A couple other names that I was very shocked at when seeing the initial roster. Defensive line, going to look very similar to last year. You got Tyree Johnson. You got Jaden Peavy. You got Bobby Brown. And you got Michael Clemens keeping the starting job over the likes of DeMarvin Leal. That doesn't mean Leal will not be effective as a rotational guy. And honestly, I think you'll see him actually play a little bit more than the likes of Clemens. But Clemens is going into his final year. He's a graduate student. He's going to get, I think, the starting guard on the depth chart. But they also are playing at a defensive end, which I think is going to be his more natural position. You look at his measurables, he's coming in at 290. That's going to be really impressive to see. The way he moved last year, you would not expect him to be 290. He's 290, a pure muscle at 6'4". I really want to see what he can do. Tyree Johnson, I think, is going to be that leader again. I think he has to be. I very much liked what I saw from him in the Texas Bowl. I very much liked what I heard from him in the Texas Bowl about how this defensive line didn't really care that Justin Matabike declared for the NFL draft early. They were going to step up. And that's where you see Bobby Brown and Jaden Peavy get their chances. Brown is going to be a name I think that a lot of people are going to want to see because he actually is the initial replacement for Matabike. We saw him really step up big 
late in this third quarter against Oklahoma State. If he builds off that production, it's going to be something really interesting. Depth behind Johnson comes Jeremiah Martin, RJ Rivera, Fadil Diggs, and Danell Harris Jr. Both are the third, fourth, and fifth option behind Johnson. Behind PV, you got Derek Hunter, Isaac Rakes, and Dallas Walker. Walker was the big addition added out of Nashville, Tennessee, right on early signing day. Then behind Bobby Brown, you got the likes of Josh Rogers, and you have McKinley Jackson. One of the bigger names to com- uh, to actually make a commitment on National Signing Day. One of those ones that a lot of people thought was not going to choose A&M and last second decided to come to Aggieland. And behind Clemens, you have Marvin Leal and Braden Mowry. Now, big question here. A lot of people want to know this. Let's talk about it. Who's coming in to replace Anthony Hines? Initially, it is going to be Aaron Hansford. Hansford is going to get the call over Hines. After him, it's going to be Edron Cooper, the freshman from Covington, Louisiana. Antonio Doyle behind him. And Anika Okiri, the graduate student coming from Samaya, Tennessee, are going to be the four. I think a lot of people were wondering, where is Andre White going to be? Well, he's not far off. He's just at the middle linebacker position. Buddy Johnson gets the call, of course. Braden White, the graduate student, the 12th man himself, is going to be the second team defender. Then you got Chris Russell Jr., Andre White, and Darian Lee Jr. all making an impact this year. But again, it's Hansford and Johnson. Hansford, he's a senior. He's been in the system for two years. He knows exactly what Jimbo Fisher's looking for. I think he's going to also have a short leash. Because I do think you have a guy like Andre White who can be multi-dimensional at the position. I think he can be really effective as a blitzer. I think he can be really effective against the run. I think he can be really great against coverage. When you look at his measurables, six foot three, two twenty-five. He's a little bit smaller than Buddy Johnson, but he's also a little taller. So that might match better against the likes of I would say some of the tight ends, some of the running backs coming out of the backfield that you will see AM face this year. Cornerback position, Miles Jones changes his number, but he keeps the CB1 spot at the outside cornerback with Brian George getting the call second. This one was a shocker to me. I thought the second that Elijah Blades said he was not going to be playing in 2020, this was Cole's chance to immediately step up. Instead, it's not. You got Trayvon Fuller, who will get the call early, the graduate student from uh, Athens, Texas, going up on the opposite side George will probably be sprinkled in and a little bit of a boundary corner, probably some mixing in on some dime formations on heavy uh, defensive back packages. I could see him there. Then you got Jalen Jones. Jalen Jones, by the end of the year, I do think is going to be the consistent starter here. I think Fuller, as much as you want to say it's a good feel-good story that he gets a chance to start, Jones is the up-and-coming prospect. He's a name that a lot of people are keeping a close eye on in College Station around the country. Some have pegged him to be even the SEC freshman of the year. This is eventually going to be his role to keep. Safety spot, Leon O'Neal comes back and will start at one of the two immediate safety roles. Now after him is Keldrick Harper, who is going to play a big role in dime formations and in three safety sets. He can do a little bit of everything. You're not going to have to worry about him playing in the box. He can make tackles in the open field, and he's a special, and he's a special teams captain. So he's very important to the success of A&M and that locker room camaraderie. After him is Antonio Johnson. I don't know if you'll see much of him this year. I think that maybe you won't see him redshirted, but you won't really see him have that big of a role. He's in in a year or two when O'Neal and Carper are gone. Coming on the opposite side, Damani Richardson, no, no surprise there. He's going to be your box safety. 
He's going to be that extra force against the run. He's going to be that third linebacker in a 4-2-5 system that Mike Elko loves to run. He's going to be down low. He's going to be covering tight ends, and he's going to have to in replacement for Hines. He's going to be covering slot receivers in zone coverage. He's going to be making plays as possibly a blitzer. That is going to be his role in 2020. After him comes Brian Williams, the sophomore from Dallas, Texas, and Eric Young comes in very last on the depth chart. Nickel cornerback position, one of my favorite players on AM, one of the best players I think that does not get enough attention, especially with so many teams running three receiver sets, running 11-man personnel, Devin Morris. Devin Morris, the junior, is going to get his chance to play that nickel cornerback role, something he did late in the season and stepped up big for AM, especially in place... For Debony Renfro, he played really well alongside Charles Oliver. I think that this is going to be a big-time year for him. This is a name that I'm very excited to see, and especially with the way that the SEC is turning into a more pass-happy league with still a few teams worrying about that run game. You need a multi-tool player. That's where Morris comes in. Clifford Chapman comes in after him, and Josh Moten will get the final start at the nickel spot. I actually do think that eventually Moten... The four-star prospect out of Maryland will get the starting job. Real fast, just to go over special teams because there were some changes. There is no longer Brandon Mann. You got Seth Small doing the kicking duty. Then you got Nick Constantino taking over as the punter from down under. At uh, the, uh, the snapper is going to be uh, Connor Choate. And doing the return game, both kick return and punt return, is going to be Anaya Smith. They got to get him involved somehow because if he is a big-time player who had immediate success last year at the wide receiver spot, you're going to have him be RB2. You better have him be effective in the kicking game in some way on special teams. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and listen on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, what are the three biggest keys for AM to get a blowout win over the likes of Vanderbilt? A lot of people definitely are going to say that AM is going to be a heavy favor going into the week. But more importantly, how do you build off that momentum? We're breaking all of that down. We will see you then. And remember, you me all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.